I uh, was a landscaper from, I don't know, probably, I don't even know, 20 years, something like that. Uh, so I love, I love gardening, as you all know. Uh, and uh, as I was gardening in my yard uh, this week, um, it's, it's interesting how sermon illustrations kind of line up with things as you're going along. I used to hyperventilate thinking, how am I going to introduce this sermon? Just work in your yard and God will give you many ideas. Um, uh, I'm going to show you some four o'clock flowers around my mailbox. Uh, I love four o'clock flowers. I've been growing them, I don't even know, 40-something years. My, uh, one of my dad's 10 sisters, my Aunt Doris, who's, I don't know, 95, 96 uh, her husband, Walter, uh, fought in World War II, an infantryman, I think he fought in France. Um, he turned me on to four o'clocks in South Carolina years ago, so I've just kind of been using the seed you know, forever, uh, thanks to my, my Uncle Walter. Uh, are you familiar with this plant? Uh, yeah, it, it, it is amazing. So uh, if you're looking for something that's drought tolerant, this is it. Uh, something that will grow profusely uh, to about, I don't know, two, three feet high and just flower all summer. This is your plant. And if you want something that com- drops hundreds of seeds and perpetuates itself every year so you don't have to go to Lowe's, <laughs> this is your plant. So uh, I had neighbors come by and uh, they wanted to know if they could borrow some of the seed. It's a nice one they ask before they steal from your yard, you know. <laughs> uh, but this is four o'clock. So um, it's about ready to bloom. It has little trumpet flowers. Uh, uh, they're they're pink, they're yellow, they're all different colors. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and then they have a kaleidoscope that I planted in my black backyard, but um, that's what these are. So the, it, if you know four o'clock flowers, that looks like four o'clock, four o'clock, correct? You said you've had them in your yard, right? This is four o'clock. You see any problems? No? Well, I want to I show you a problem. That's a problem. That's my hand, of course. Uh, uh, that is a weed. Do you see the weed? Now, if you analyze said weed, as I do when I work in my yard, because I want a weed-free yard, don't you? It's a godly thing. Um, There's no way I'm going to allow that to be in my yard. So, you know, I know that's a weed. But it looks very similar to 4 o'clock. It's green. Uh, It has a similar leaf structure. Uh, But if you allow this to grow, uh, it will spread out and form like a little canopy and snuff out the beautiful 4 o'clock flowers. So you you have decisions to make as a gardener. I can A, leave it in my yard and just chill inside and let it grow and take over and wipe out my flowers, or B, pull it. Which one do you think I chose? <laughs> I chose B. Uh, and I did it. I, right after I did this, I pulled these out of here. Now, I know from having to deal with these weeds, and these, this particular weed uh, is not a California weed. This is a Virginia thing. I think it's from the devil. I don't know what it is. And I know that I, after I pull it out, I'm going to be pulling it out all summer. If this is not a metaphor that preaches, I do not know what is. Because as I look at this as a pastor, I'm thinking, well, that, that is exactly like what John's talking about in First John, that all the churches that he pastors in Asia Minor, those seven churches, Ephesus, Philadelphia, I mean, Thyatira, Pickham, Pergamos, Laodicea, all those churches, um, they've been infiltrated by weeds. And the weeds, uh, in the metaphor, of course, they're people, but they are people who infiltrated the church, looked and sounded like really devout Christians, but they were not. Uh, They were false teachers. Uh, And they came in uh, and planted themselves right next to the nice plants of the believers in those churches. And as you can see, when you look at these plants, when they first start germinating, they all like look the same. And it's only later that as you analyze them as a gardener, you're like, oh, there's a problem. And that's what happened in these churches. Uh, In due time, a false teacher will always show they're a false teacher. As I told you, they never announced that they're a false teacher, correct? 
They don't ever walk in going, hey, hey, full teacher here. Glad to meet you. Uh, no, they always come in, they sound like you, look like you, might even use the same, term, same, same theological terminology, but they have an agenda, which is to teach false uh, doctrine. Uh, and so they lay low. And eventually, as a weed does, they grow and flourish, and, you're, and you, can, you can spot them. So then what do you do with them? Well, that's what John's talking about in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 18 and following. He's telling you uh, how, how a believer, how a saint should deal with the destructive doctrinal deception brought about by a false teacher. And if you do not believe false teachers are not alive and well in our culture, get a cup of coffee and, and pray about it. They're everywhere. You cannot go through a given day and not hear false teaching, especially inside the church, which is most insidious. So we want to review our point from last week in case you weren't here or in case you forgot what we talked about because you're over 40. Uh, what did we talk about last week? What should you do? You should consider the times in which you live. So let's just review. What did he tell his church? He called them children. Remember, he's in his 90s. Everybody underneath that was a child to him. So children, it's the last hour, just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have arisen, and for this, we know it's the last hour. So eschatologically, he knows at his day and time, 2,000 years ago, uh, the Lord Jesus is about to appear, and prior to his appearance will come the Antichrist. I mean, the man of sin, the, the Satan-empowered man to rule the world. And we went through great detail uh, last week, and I put all my notes online because I, I heard people said, you cannot write that fast. This is true. That's why I put every single note on the, on the, on the internet tomorrow. So uh, same as last week. So what is the Antichrist like? Uh, well, we went through that. He hates law and order and, and, and tries to uh, change law and order. He, he's absolutely for lawlessness, but he, he, he hides it as he's lawful. Uh, he is absolutely anti-morality because he's for immorality. He's a liar to his core and will lie straight to your face to dupe the masses, and he's all about political power. That is the Antichrist, if you study him. Now, John says, remember, we're still reviewing you with me. John says that there are many Antichrists in the world prior to his arrival. There are the shock troops to prepare the, the groundwork for his coming, so everybody will go, oh, finally someone that is the epitome of all these little Antichrists. What are the little Antichrists like? Uh, by way of review, they, like the Antichrist, are uh, ones who push immorality as if it's morality. Uh, they are for sexual perversion, and they push it as purity. Uh, they are for unreality, pushing it as reality. That's him. Uh, they are for lawlessness in the place of lawfulness, and they are the victims when they are truly the perpetrators. That's them. That's, a, that's the Antichrist spirit. Uh, it's in the world in which we live. So what is a godly person, especially a man, supposed to do as you lead your family? Consider the times in which you live. The times are prophesied to be evil, which means I have an obligation as a godly man to be for God's things, to live the life of Christ to my culture uh, and teach truth. That's my job. That's your job. Number two, now into the verse 19. We, the second thing that you can do is, as you face false teachers, uh, inside a church in particular, consider the teachers, and I put scare quotes around that because they claim to be teachers, but they're not, because they like to work their way into small group Bible studies, Sunday school classes, etc., uh, to be able to uh, influence the masses. So he says, consider the teachers. Verse 19, he says, John says, they, these false teachers, went out from us, but, but they weren't really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But what they do? Well, they went out. They left the church in order that it might be shown that they are not uh, um, 
all with us. And so John says, uh, when I think about these false teachers, uh, a lot of them have left the churches. But it took a while because it took, it took a while for their false teaching to surface. Uh, and he said, had they truly been believers, they would have most likely stayed in the church uh, and, and worked through some of their doctrinal differences because, okay, are we all on the same page doctrinally speaking? No, no. I'm praying for all of you. But um, no, we're not. I mean, even my elder board, I mean, we're divided over many different things, but we're united on the things that we will die for deity of Christ, the Bible is the word of God, salvation is by grace alone. I mean, all the big things. Now, there's a lot of things that we are mysterious that we don't know how they're going to play out. And one of us will get to tell the other one in eternity. See, I told you. Uh, but, but apart from that, uh, you know, we can debate and discuss things and we do it all the time, but we do it in a spirit of unity, which is why this is a great place. Um, these people, it's their way or no way. Uh, and their teaching is the teaching. Now, uh, you need to, I'm going to tell you something. It was told to me a long time ago when I became a pastor uh, by an older pastor. And I was trying to plan a church, had 19 people, trying to draw people into the church. I needed every breathing person I could get through the door. Please stay. And I had some troublemakers that would come, some false kind of teachers. Uh, and I had an old pastor in Georgia. I called him up, a friend of mine, and was talking to him one night. And he told me, he said, brother, you don't need everybody. I'm like, all right, huh? He goes, you can't hang on to everybody, and you don't want to. Let him go. <laughs> and I'm like, well, thank you, Mark. His name was Mark Baker. Go figure. We went to seminary together, Mark Baker, Mark Allen Baker, Marty Albert Baker. Uh, <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't brothers, uh, and his mailbox was right, right above mine, like in the, in the, you know, in the, in the, we saw each other all the time. So he, he had been a pastor for many years, so I always called him for wisdom and counsel because, um, you have to humble yourself sometimes and learn from other people. And so he would, he would teach me. He's like, Marty, some people that come into the church, you don't need them there as the pastor. That's why God gave you the, the word of God. And so um, Paul talked about this in Acts chapter 20, verse 30, when he was talking to the, uh, the believers, uh, the leaders in the, of the church in Ephesus. Uh, it, he, says, he says to them in Acts chapter 20, verse 30, uh, he says, from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things why? To draw away disciples after them. They always want to form the little group that's, that's against the pastoral staff. It's against other teachers in the church. They want to form their little faction and build allegiances. Um, and so uh, Paul says, uh, prepare yourself because these people are coming. So when you get to the book of Revelation chapter two and three, and you read the message to the Christ, the pre priest speaking to the church in Ephesus, uh, to the church in Sardis, Philadelphia, he's speaking to all those seven churches He's basically telling the majority of them, although there's a few exceptions, I commend you for this, I condemn you for this. And the things he condemns them for are allowing false teaching to be perpetuated inside their churches. So what Paul warned the believers about came about. And if you think that uh, the false teachers uh, are now a thing of the past, think again, because Paul's words are prophetic. Um, so, what should we do when a false teacher infiltrates the church? Because uh, that is what they do to try to sway public opinion, to divide the church, to destroy the unity. Uh, uh, confront them in love with truth, with what the truth of the word of God is. Uh, if you have to cancel a Sunday school class, uh, I've been there before, you cancel that class. And you explain to the people why you had to cancel that class. If somebody is teaching the flock, I'm there to protect the flock. The elders are there to protect the flock. If somebody's teaching deviant doctrines, I mean, where they deny basic Christian doctrine, uh, 
you might even get to the point where you have to ask them to leave the church. It is not fun being a pastor all the time, but you have to do what God's called you to do, and that's protect the body uh, from that which the devil would like to do. Uh, and so um, John is one who was in his 90s still going after those who taught that which was not truth. And though they called themselves teachers, he saw that they weren't teachers. Now, there might be a, a double reference in what he's talking to about here. So this is uh, generally taken as false teachers infiltrated the church, caused all kinds of havoc, split all these churches, caused all, you just destroyed the unity of the churches. Uh, that might be one view. A second view uh, is when he says that they went out from us, that the double reference is, John is talking about from us, the apostolic circle. Follow me on this. He says, they went out of us. Now, the Greek phrase, um, out of us, it's two words in Greek as it is in English. Um, this particular uh, phrase, it's, it's emphatic in the Greek text, but what he could be saying is, these men, after the death and resurrection of Christ, joined the, the disciples, hung out with us, seemed to be like us, and then eventually they went out from us because we exposed their false teaching. And then they eventually made their way to your churches and began to bring their stuff to your churches. What's interesting is in Acts chapter 15, verse 24, because uh, I looked it up, uh, where else does that particular prepositional phrase occur, out of us? Well, in the New Testament, that particular uh, prepositional phrase, out of us, occurs in Acts 15, 24. Notice what it says here in the NIV text. Uh, it says, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. Uh, what's the context of Acts 15? It's the first church council. And what's the issue? Judaizers, Jewish Christians, have come into the church and they've said, we believe that all Gentiles, in order to be saved, must trust in Jesus, check, and follow all of the Mosaic law. Uh, that's not true. They had a huge debate. That's, they disturbed the early church with that teaching. They had a huge church council in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the head church. Uh, James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, was the head of that church. Uh, imagine he got saved. I mean, that's how I know the resurrection is, is real. Because if you went to your brother and you told him you were the Messiah, God himself, what would your brother tell you? Huh? You, you're, what in the world? That James came to know Christ is amazing. Because after his resurrection, here you find him at the head of the church. John takes on this false teaching uh, and, and he leads uh, the, the, the council in, in uh, Jerusalem uh, to, to this debate. Is it true that a person has to believe in Jesus and do the works of the Mosaic law to be saved? Or should the Gentile just trust Jesus as savior and he's saved? Well, we know how that, that, that particular council concluded that you're saved by grace alone, sola fide, the Latin terminology. Um, and so they, they, from the very inception, the devil tried to infiltrate the church and destroy the gospel of Christ. Uh, he's not stopped since then. Uh, years ago, I had a, a, a man uh, come to an apologetic class I was teaching at my last church in California. So every Wednesday night, I had an apologetic class called Digging Deeper. And so we did this for like 19 years. I had this apologetic class. We covered any topic you can possibly imagine in apologetics. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. One night, I had a man show up, and he looked like a Hasidic Jew, uh, dressed in all black, had the black hat and everything. And he came and he was pulling a suitcase. Uh, and, you know, who comes to a Bible study carrying a suitcase? And we're like, this is kind of weird. So he came in, people were kind of talking among themselves, like, who's that guy? Because uh, it was a small church of like 200 people. So in that kind of church, you stuck out. Here, I walk up to people all the time, how long have you been here? Eight years. You know, 
And so you know, it's a bigger church, it, but everybody saw this guy. And so uh, he began to talk to people and people are crowding around him and welcoming him as a new person and all that kind of stuff. During my class, he asked some very interesting questions. Uh, and then after the class, people came up to me and they said, uh, hey, that, that guy's totally unusual. I mean, he has really great knowledge. Have you talked to him? Uh, well, just in class, as he asked questions. And where, if you're leading a class, like you're the pastor, and if somebody's new and they start talking the first time they come to class, something might be afoot there. This guy asked tons of questions. I'm like, and so I'm already red flags up about this guy. Um, and so I, so I had one church pressure and it came over to me and said, you know, while I was listening to him talk and then I talked to him, I saw his, his, he opened his suitcase. It's full of Hebrew books. Man, this guy's amazing. And they said, I was just thinking of Hebrews 13, 1, could he possibly be an angel that we're entertaining unawares? Huh? An angel from God? Really? And uh, so I said, well, I better go talk to him if he's an angel. So I went over there uh, and I started talking to this uh, man. Uh, and uh, he, so I began asking him questions because he had a, you know, all these Hebrew books and uh, et cetera, talking about, you know, I have a PhD and this and that. And I said, well, that's very interesting. I, you know, I said, uh, I had recently left a PhD program when I was 27. Um, I had to leave it because my son was autistic, so I didn't finish the PhD in Hebrew. Uh, but I find it interesting uh, that you say you have a PhD. What, what's it in? I, he said, well, it's, uh, it's in uh, 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 Egyptian Hebrew hieroglyphics. Huh? I said, well, <laughs> what is it in? Uh, and I, I said, well, I've, that's really interesting. I said, in all my studies of Hebrew, I have never heard of that. Well, it's, it's totally there. It's totally, it's totally a language, and I'm fluent in it and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Um, what would you be doing with somebody like that as a pastor? Good guy, bad guy? Uh, he's a bad guy. Uh, because uh, the more we engaged with him, the more we realized uh, he's only there to dupe people with his false teaching. And he, he astounds you with his knowledge. But when he comes up against somebody else, like a pastor who understands that kind of stuff, all of a sudden he starts getting kind of uh, edgy and antsy, and wanting to leave the room. And I finally sent a pastor to his house to kind of check the guy out. Uh, just, you know, talk to him in his living room. It was pretty apparent that, uh, that he was what we're talking about here, an infiltrator. And we uh, came to the you know, conclusion, it's like, well, you're not going to be welcome at our fellowship teaching this kind of false teaching about, about Jesus. Uh, not an easy thing to do, but most necessary because you have to guard the entire flock. Because what's he want to do? He did it on the first night there. He starts duping people. They thought he was an angel. They never claimed that of me. <laughs> Next, moving on. What else should you do? Well, you should consider the truth. What truth? Well, John 2.20. He says, but you as Christians have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Let's just clear this out right here. You all know. Does this mean that Christians know all things? No. Does it mean your wife knows all things? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. The answer is yes to that one. Uh, does it mean... <laughs> I remember 10 years ago what you were wearing when we had that discussion. I remember your tone of voice. I remember the temperature that day. You ever had this happen? Anyway, moving on. Um, uh, <laughs> I've been married 42 years. I know the drill. Um, so it, he's not talking about you as Christians know all things. He's telling you, you have been taught in my ministry, in the ministry of your pastors and all those churches, you have enough information to know baloney when you hear it. You, you have a built-in baloney meter, right? 
Yeah, it's that thing that you got from God. It's the spirit of God that when you hear baloney, there's somebody telling you, that guy must be an angel. Bing, baloney meter. You know, it's like, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, and, and so he says, you have this anointing. So we want to make a couple observations because what was happening, the Gnostics who had infiltrated this church, remember, Gnosis means knowledge. And it means, well, you have esoteric knowledge. So you're, you're really saved if you are like us. And what do we believe? We believe the body is, you know, inconsequential. Uh, what matters is what's inside of you and what you project as truth. And, uh, and, and so they, they had their own esoteric knowledge. And if you joined their club, doing all their secret rites and having all their secret information, you were anointed. By definition, it meant if you didn't have that esoteric knowledge of a Gnostic, you were not anointed. You were not saved. What does John tell them? But you have an anointing. I want to make two observations before I actually talk about this. Two observations. Number one, uh, and, and they're grammatical, so hang with me. Uh, the first one is uh, when he says you have an anointing as a Christian, it's a present tense verb. You got a couple classifications of what you can do with the present tense verb. Uh, it can be a gnomic use of the verb, meaning true for all time. Or it can be a durative, meaning it's perpetually going on, but they're very similar. So either way, you as a Christian have the anointing. Did you know this? You have the anointing. It's, it's yours. It's yours. Uh, you have this. Uh, let's talk more about it. Number, my second point, before I get into what I want to talk about. Um, number two, uh, the word anoint, and I'm going to say it to you in English, uh, what it is. The anointing, the word is charisma. Sound familiar? Charismatic? So if you were asking me if I'm a charismatic, yeah. Why? Uh, well, I've got the charisma. I, I've got the anointing. Every Christian has the anointing. Well, what is the anointing? Well, he says, you have the anointing from the Holy One. What was the anointing in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, when they would anoint somebody with oil, it was a prophet, it was a priest, it was a king, or it was an artisan who had to build special things for the tabernacle or the temple. They got that anointing from God uh, to do a special thing for God. Uh, usually this particular text, you'll see in the text that says you have an anointing from the Holy One, but in the Greek text, there's no article before holy. It just says you have an anointing from Holy One. Uh, it makes it emphatic, there's no article. Well, why is it capitalized Holy One? Because it's, it's the Holy Spirit. It's emphasizing the Holy Spirit. Usually in the New Testament, because I went through the New Testament and read, every time you, and bear with me for just a minute, I mean, like in German where you have case endings like nominative, dative, accusative, etc. Same thing in Greek. Uh, when you look at the Holy One, it's a genitival construction. Uh, but what is happening here, if you look throughout the New Testament, because I counted them all up, usually what appears before uh, this particular uh, construction uh, is uh, the word spirit, pneumatos, uh, the, the air, the, the spirit of God. Usually it comes before the Holy One or after the Holy One, denoting that this is the Holy Spirit. This is an unusual construction of John to highlight the fact that every Christian, ipso facto, has the Holy Spirit on your life. Aren't you glad? So let's get into it. That was just introductory stuff. So uh, when did you get anointed? Well, Pentecostals will say, well, you get, you know, we get, you get saved, you get, you get forgiven of your sin, and then sometime later in your life, you get the second blessing. I don't hold to that viewpoint uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of them is when you get saved, you get the anointing. You don't need another anointing. 
Uh, and so what you have is when you get anointed, it happens at the moment of your faith, when you got converted, uh, you were forgiven of your sin. And at that precise mystical moment, the Holy Spirit came into your life based on Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 and sealed you as God's engagement ring until the time of redemption. Says so in chapter four, verse 30 of Ephesians. That's why I believe in eternal security. Because if he could leave, where would he go? Minute you sinned, out of here. But he said he can't leave. So he says in, in uh, chapter four, verse 30 of Ephesians, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed. So when did you get sealed? The minute I confess Jesus as Lord. Forgiveness of sin, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Um, he baptized you into, this, into Jesus. Because Paul talks about the fact that there's one baptism. He's primarily talking about spirit baptism. When did that happen? Well, that happened the minute I trusted Christ as Savior, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, says that the Spirit of God baptized a believer into Jesus. You go into Jesus, you don't ever come out of Jesus, amen? You're in. Now, you might not always act like a Christian. That's why we come to church on Sunday. Um, but, but you are baptized into Jesus. So when you come before Peter at the pearly gates, if he happens to be standing there and says, why should I let you in? I got the anointing <laughs> I am, I'm baptizing the spirit. He's like, come on in. Uh, what's the goal of the anointing? Uh, and this is interesting. The goal of the anointing is because you got all of him, but Ephesians 5.18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. So I have the dwelling anointing of the spirit. The question is on a daily basis, how much do I let him fill me or control me? This is why you should probably pray in the morning before your day begins, not at the end of the day. No, I totally blew that day. No, I said, at the beginning of the day, Lord, help, I, I know you indwell me, but control me this day, my thoughts, my actions, how I treat my wife, how I raise my children, etc. He's there to help you live a godly life. You have the anointing. The other thing is, he is your personal teacher. That's what John says. You have the anointing from the Holy One, and you all know, translated, what you need to know. So when I'm studying, and, I'm, and I was trained on how to study, so I know exactly what to do to exegete a passage, but... When I get to complex things and want to know, you know God's heart, because it's not just an academic discipline, you're, you're listening to God. So I spend a lot of time during the week asking the Lord, what do you mean by that? I, how, does that, how, does that how does that fit with this over here, which seems incongruous? I mean, help me to understand these things. I mean, you have direct access to the author. Do you know how many, have you been in my office? There's a few books in there. Thousands of books in there. Um, I don't, get down to, I don't get to sit and talk to those authors. You know, it's like, what do you mean by that? Et cetera. I had dinner last week with Os Guinness, uh, the great apologist at a function I went to. And, uh, you know, it's always fun. I, I see him about once a year. It's fun to sit with Os and, you know, it's like, pick his brain, you know? Uh, it's kind of scary talking to somebody that's that intelligent. It's like, I'm going to say nothing, you know? Uh, but this is a great opportunity. But when you are a Christian, I mean, all the awesome things that happen to you, one of them is you have the anointing of the Spirit. You can ask him questions. That's who you should be talking to. This doesn't belittle the presence of a pastor or a teacher because those are ordained by God. But you should first and foremost be asking, what, well, Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to know? John chapter 16 and John 14 uh, tells you the Spirit just does in your life what he told you he was going to do. Uh, John 14, 26, what did Jesus say? But the helper, uh, who's that? the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, because Jesus hadn't died and resurrected yet, he will send in my name. What's he going to do? Teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So everything about geometry and mathematics, you're going to learn it? No, I wish. No, but he's going to be teaching you all the things you need to know about spiritual things. He's going to guide you. And he's going to bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He's there to teach you. John chapter uh, 16, 
Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all, uh, into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose you what is to come. This is of the future, eschatology. He'll give you an understanding of how the future intersects with the present and should motivate us to holy living. But he's the spirit of truth and he will guide you into all doctrinal truth. Remember, he's there as your baloney meter and when it gets pegged, you should be listening. Ever sat in a university class and heard a professor say stuff, you're like, really? That is absolutely off the grid. One of our students uh, uh, emailed me the other day and said, my, my teacher uh, is denying and went through all the things about Jesus that her, her teacher denied. And she said, could you help me with these things? She said, I think you had a sermon on that a couple Easter's ago. Could you send me those sermons so I can send them to the professor? Sure. I haven't heard from the professor yet, but she, she got him to send to the professor. It's, it's that type of thing. She knew what she was hearing in class was erroneous, but how, do, how should I get equipped to handle him? Uh, and, and so the Spirit of God can help you to that end. Do you listen to him? Do you listen to him? When you read the news, when you hear people talk, do you listen to what he has to say? Verses 22 to 23, well, uh, to, uh, verse 21. He says to these believers, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is in the truth. So we're the, uh, the recipients of the letter of 1 John, believers or unbelievers? Believers, how do we know that? He just said they were. He's not trying to convince them they're saved. He's telling them, oh no, I know you're saved because you know the truth and I've taught you the truth. And then he's gonna flip in verse 22 and 23 to talk about the, well, the infiltrators, the weeds, the, the false teachers. He says, uh, let's, let's have a little test concerning these false teachers. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. He says in verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. It's very intimately associated. You reject Jesus as Messiah God, you don't have who? the Father. You reject the Father and the fact that he sent the Messiah Jesus to be the Savior. You don't have the Father and you don't have the Son. And ipso facto, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not saved. What's he saying about the Antichrist? They have a problem with the person of Jesus. The spirit of the Antichrist has a problem with the person of Jesus. See, uh, there was a man named Serminthus. We've talked about him before, an ancient Gnostic teacher from around the time of John, a typical Gnostic teacher who denied the deity of Christ, his incarnation. Uh, they denied the resurrection of Christ. They, I mean, they denied the, the, the crucifixion of Christ, that the, 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 the Christ spirit just descended on this physical body of Jesus uh, and was with him through his ministry. But then when he, then when he died, they just, he left conveniently. He wasn't really the God-man. Uh, and John uh, you know, took that kind of teaching to task. Because had Jesus just been a mere man well, then he could have never just lived a perfect life to overcome our sins if he was just a mere man. If he was just God, and God, but not in the flesh, well, then he wouldn't identify with all of our issues as he said he came to identify with us. But he was the God-man, the perfect God-man. False systems have a problem with Jesus. Have you noticed? Um, how important is it to believe that Jesus is the Christ? Well, listen to what Jesus tells Mary at the resurrection of, of uh, his friend, uh, Lazarus. John 11, verse 25. Jesus says to Martha, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Here's the biggest question of all of life. Do you believe that? 
Last Sunday, I did a funeral for one of our prisoners uh, who passed away from brain cancer at uh, 3 o'clock. But we talked about what she inherited. That's what we talked about. It was awesome. Uh, because that, that saint, uh, Melinda, who used to go to our church, I mean, she, she is beholding Christ and all that he had for her. You know, she's living because he lives. Do you believe this, that Jesus is the Lord? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. The, the, and the word Christos, he's the anointed one. Um, you are the son of God, even he who comes into the world. So was Martha saved or unsaved? Saved. Why? Because she believed the right content about Jesus. Who was he? The God-man. He's the Christ, and he's the son of God. What does a false teacher have a problem with? Those two things. Uh, I have a, a Jehovah's Witnesses in my family. I've studied that uh, type of theology uh, for m- much of my life, in detail, reading all their books, etc. Um, I'll just give you a couple quotes, because they have a problem with Jesus. Uh, here is one of their quotes uh, from their book, Studies in the Scriptures. They say, our Lord Jesus is a God. Well, still the united voice of the scriptures must emphatically assert that there is only but one only mighty God, the Father of all. Therefore, strict monotheist, no Trinitarianism, uh, strict monotheist, much like uh, Islam. Uh, and, 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 well, who is Jesus? Well, he's, he's, just a, he's just a God. And this is basically ancient Gnosticism, that Jesus was a, an emanation from God, not, not God himself. Same thing uh, in their thinking. Here's another quote uh, from their book, The Kingdom at Hand. At the time of his beginning of his life, he was created, Jesus, he was created by the everlasting God, Jehovah, without the aid or instrumentality of any mother. In other words, he was the first and direct creation of Jehovah God. He was the start of God's creative work. He was not an incarnation in the flesh, but was flesh, a human son of God, a perfect man, no longer a spirit, although having a spiritual heavenly past and background. This is problematic. Why is it problematic? They're denying the deity of Jesus Christ, who himself said, when they asked him, who are you? And he said, I'm the I am. I'm the great I am in all time. He's the God man. Uh, False systems that we're, we're called in our culture to accept and embrace and tolerate all of them as if there is no absolute truth uh, are all around us. Uh, when I was going through my doctoral studies in apologetics, uh, I had a, a class on Islam. Here's one quote uh, about how they view Jesus. Uh, this is uh, Surah uh, and Nisa, uh, chapter 4, verse 171, says this. Uh, o people of the book, uh, do not go to extremes regarding your faith. Say nothing about Allah except the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger of Allah and the fulfillment of his word through Mary and a spirit created him, etc. Uh, what's their problem? Well, they think Jesus is a prophet, but he's not the prophet. And they don't think he's the God-man and say so in their text. This is just one of many. What is the problem here? This is false teaching. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. This matters greatly because what's at stake? Heaven and hell is at stake. You listening to me? This is what is at stake. So if you're an atheist and you're like, well, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness and I don't know anything about Islam. Well, if you're an atheist, uh, you are of the opinion that there's no positive evidence for God. I would submit to you, uh, you need to wake up. There's tons of positive evidence for God all around you. Moral argument, teleological argument, cosmological argument. There's tons of great proofs. Uh, if you were an agnostic saying, well, there's insufficient evidence uh, for the evidence of God or some kind of God. Well, if you're an unsure kind of person, you are sure about one thing, and that one thing is your, your agnosticism's true. So if you believe your agnosticism is true, it's possible that there's other things that are absolutely true. You need to investigate. Uh, I don't know where you're at on the, on, but you might be a skeptic. 
You, everything is, is questionable. No truth is attainable. Well, the truth must be attainable because your skepticism, according to you, is attainable. So therefore, truth must be attainable. You follow me? So I don't know where you're at on the grid, but all of these systems, uh, whether they're religious or philosophical, have a problem with Jesus. Why? Because if you trust Jesus as the God-man and believe that, that he is the only way, then all other uh, viewpoints, well, they're not true. But he's the only one that leads to heaven. So if you are not a believer today, uh, I challenge you. Um, if you've wrapped up in a system of belief that uh, denies the person and work of Jesus, uh, may, I, I prayed for you this week, that God would draw you to himself, open your eyes, and you can turn to him in faith. Uh, and it, it's faith in the historical death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Jesus says in John 8, 32, that when you come to understand this truth, he says the truth will set you free. From what? Your sin. And there's nothing greater than actually embracing the truth. And for those who are saints, uh, I challenge you, uh, even in a church uh, this large, the devil would like nothing more than to destroy what this church is. As a Bible teaching center where a lot of people uh, live the faith out in great power. So what do you need to do? Three things. Number one, consider the times in which we live. Uh, Be truth to, to said culture. Consider the teachers that you listen to. And number three, uh, consider uh, the truth of the word of God above all things. You should know this book more than anything else because God uses this book not only to change you, but to confront that which is false and to lead people to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, may God bless you. Uh, may you as a father be all those three things uh, in our said culture, and may God bless you greatly. Why don't you stand and I will pray for you. And you can go start grilling or whatever you're going to do today. God, thank you for who you are uh, and how clear the scriptures can be uh, and how powerful they are to change us into your likeness. We submit to you and we look for you uh, to use the text today in a profound way to guide people into the kingdom of Christ for all of eternity uh, and to take saints and motivate them uh, to safeguard their families, safeguard their church, uh, and to teach truth about who Jesus is in Jesus' name. Amen.